Last week, my message was entitled, The Awesome Power of No. And uh, we talked about how that means saying no to pride and saying no to mindlessness, not, not thinking, just doing things without thinking. How it, how it means saying no to distractions and how it means saying no to fear and intimidation. I, I saw a little one-liner attributed to Mr. Anonymous that person really wrote a lot. But it said this, if you want more time, freedom, and energy, start saying no. Boy, that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? In fact, last week, we focused and talked about how one of the real evidences of our true belief One of the evidences of our loyalty to Jesus Christ in the Christian life is seen in what we say no to. We looked at this passage from uh, Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce, that means to say no, to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present, present age. The ability to say, you know what? I don't think that is anything that's really going to bring me growth. I don't think that that's anything that's going to contribute to my well-being. And so I'm going to say no. Renouncing. But you know, we also looked at it at the close of the message in a positive way. At that point, we, we looked at Philippians. But you know what? I, I don't want you to think I'm saying that this is going to be easy. Saying no is not easy. Sometimes it's one of the hardest things that we have to do, and yet one of the most rewarding and fulfilling things that we can do. Remember back when we were studying 1 Peter? 1 Peter says in chapter 2, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain, to say no, another word for saying no, to abstain from the passions of the flesh. Now listen, here's the point I want to emphasize. Which wage war against your soul. Do not kid yourself. Do not let anybody else deceive you. We are in a spiritual war every day. There are many, many passages that I could share with you to to show you the evidence of that. And so from a more positive note, we can go to Paul's writing to the Christians at Philippi. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents." 
This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but or also of your salvation and that from God. Now notice right here in what Paul writes to the Christians in Philippi. Some of those same things. You don't have to be frightened. You can say no to fear and intimidation. But look at what he says so positively. Can you imagine, can you imagine with me for just a second, how things might be different in Brook, Newton County, surrounding area, if the word got out, boy, those people over at First Christian Church, they are standing firm in the Spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the Gospel. Those people are united. Because I'll tell you what, they would think about their churches, just like our church, where there's always negative and fighting and bad words. and Just to give the image for a change of a group of people who have said, we're going to work together. Let me tell you about a lady, I'm not going to do it by name, but a lady who was involved in a church, I know her personally, still see her every once in a while. She was very strongly convinced that something that the church was going to do was not in the church's best interest. And when the time for the vote came, she voted no. But it was passed. And even though she felt strongly against it with a no vote, once it was passed, you know what she did? She agreed to be a part of the committee to implement that program in the church. See what was involved? She submitted her desires and her wills for what was understood to be the the intent and the desire of the congregation as a whole, the majority. Striving side by side with one mind. You see, it has to do with integrity. Don't you seriously, don't you really question the integrity of somebody who says, well, if such and such happens, then I'm going to do this. And when such and such happens, they don't do that. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 37, as a part of the Sermon on the Mount, He said, you know what? There is really no need for Christians to say oaths. He said, simply say yes or no. And James in his little letter as he is is kind of making a commentary on that, James says, don't say oaths, just let your yes be yes and your no be no. Many of you are old enough to remember when if two people shook on something, you could etch it in stone. That's how it was going to be. A man's commitment, a man's word, was worth something. His yes meant yes, and his no meant no. Well, 
Nehemiah was that kind of man of integrity. If we, if we just think back over uh, what we've done so far, back in chapter 2, at the very beginning of our story, his integrity was why King Artaxerxes not only sent him to Judah, but he also funded his task. A foreign king allowing their money to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Chapters 3 and 4. Nehemiah's integrity was why the opposition failed. Chapter 5. Nehemiah's integrity was why he stopped the oppression of the poor that was going on. And last week in chapter 6, we saw how Nehemiah's integrity was such that he could say, no, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to come down from the wall. There's a task that has to be done. I'm going to do it. I'm not going to be a part of anything that might be understood or seen or thought to be a sin. I'm going to say no. And so we come to chapter 6, verse 15, where I closed last Sunday. And I've entitled my message today simply Moving Forward. Moving Forward. And I want to read the close of chapter 6 and the first four verses of chapter 7. Starting with verse 15. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month Elul in 52 days. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem. For they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Moreover, in those days the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him, because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Arah. And his son, Jehoanan, had taken the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, as his wife. Also, they spoke of his good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him. And Tobiah sent letters to make me afraid. Now when the wall had been built... And I had set up the doors and the gatekeepers and the singers and the Levites had been appointed. I gave my brother Hanani and Hananiah, the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem. For he was a more faithful and God-fearing man than many. And I said to them, Let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot. And while they are still standing guard, let them shut the bar and bar the doors. Appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, some at their guard posts and some in front of their homes. The city was wide and large, but the people within it were few, and no houses had been rebuilt. And then my God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles and the officials and the people to be enrolled by genealogy. May God add his blessing to our reading of his word. One of the things that I think we can see here is, first of all, the fact that 
the mission was completed. The mission was completed. It was a mission that many thought was impossible. Even to rebuild the walls. But yet, verse 15, the task was completed in just 52 days. You know, there's something refreshing to me about just those simple phrases that occur there. So the wall was finished. All this opposition, everything that's going on, and Nehemiah can just simply write, so the wall was finished. It kind of takes us back to chapter 4, where they're right in the middle of attack, and what's he do? He stops and prays. Remember how I told you prayer is so important in the book of Nehemiah. Fifteen times in just these few 13 or so chapters, references to prayer. Right in the middle of attack, he stops to pray, Hear, O my Lord. And after his prayers, the next thing he says is, So we built the walls. And now, he's saying, So the wall was finished. The task had been completed. Isn't there something rewarding about setting out to do something and everything is done, everything is completed, the task has been completed successfully, even with opposition? And it's really difficult in those times, isn't it, to stop and just want to pat yourself on the back? You know, look what we did. But nowhere does Nehemiah do it. In fact, I think that's what's interesting about how this story even moves on. Because notice the enemy's reaction there in verse 16. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem. For they perceived that the work had been accomplished with the help of God. They were afraid. They lost self-esteem because you know what? They honestly believed that their opposition was going to accomplish something. Let me tell you something. If a group of people decide to do God's work in God's ways... It doesn't matter how much opposition arises. The task will be completed. Because God will make sure that those troublemakers are overcome. That's why I said last week what I did. And I'm going to repeat it. And I, you know, if you want to check that what I'm saying is exactly right. You know these sermons last week's is is recorded and on the internet and this week's will be too. I think the the Bible is very clear and one of the speakers at last Saturday's leadership conference was also very clear in saying that one of the things that the church has lacked that has caused problems is that the church has lacked leaders who had courage And he said, and I agree, courage to stop 
troublemakers and to stop division from occurring. May God give us that courage that when we know that what we're doing is God's work and we're doing everything we can to do it in God's will, that we will have leaders that will rise up and they will look at opposition face to face and and speak to it for what it is. But here's what I don't understand. I'm going to tell you this too, by the way. There are a lot of things in the Bible that I don't understand. And I strive to study more every day. My wife and I have been blessed this year and and uh, every morning she comes with me to the office and and uh, Kay and Cindy will see us in there but but every morning she comes to, to, with me to the office and she and I are reading through the Old Testament once this year from beginning to end and we are reading through the New Testament twice from beginning to end we'll, we will have read the whole Bible together as a couple and the New Testament twice during this calendar year and it's a blessing because every once in a while I reach over and I hit the pause button and I say, Jesse, did you hear that? Did you see that? Well, and we go back to another passage and compare them. Verse 16. Look at it again with me. Because I don't understand this. When our enemies heard of it and all the nations around us were afraid and greatly fell in their esteem, I understand that. They thought they were going to stop it and they weren't able. And boy, that made them feel less of themselves. But notice the next phrase. They perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of God. Now, I I understand that. Here's what I don't understand. If they saw what had been done in such a short time and they knew God was behind it, why did the attack, why did their attack, why did their opposition continue? Because it did. They saw that God was in it, and yet they continued their attacks. And in these verses that that we have, verses 17 to 19, it's even more detrimental Because you know why? Tobiah was an insider. Tobiah was a Jew. He had family ties to Eliashib the priest. He had binding financial agreements within the Jewish community. Probably with some of the same wealthy people in chapter 5 who were oppressing the poor. And so I I see what's going on now in verses 17 and 19. Even knowing that God was behind it, I see what's going on as payback, revenge. Even with, despite the perception of God's involvement in the task. Isn't that interesting to you? I mean, I would hope I would hope that if I saw something and I, I perceived that, man, God is in that, I hope and pray that I would not be one who would want to rise up and continue to cause that problem. But yet it happens all the time, doesn't it? But even 
with these people, even this insider, Tobiah, rising up against them. Did you hear what, what Nehemiah did? Even so, he moved, he moved forward to establish, um, to establish a, a sense of community. Go back with me to verses 1 to 5 of chapter 7. Now when the wall had been built and I had set up the doors and the gatekeepers, the singers and the Levites had been appointed, I gave my brother Hanani and Hananiah the government, the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem. He starts out right away by doing something very important in terms of community. He appoints faithful, competent leaders to carry on the task. One of my one of my greatest frustrations in ministry and there was a gap but pretty much from the time I was a youth minister uh, when I was 18 until now 46 years, 48 years one of my greatest frustrations, one of my greatest disappointments was when I saw men put into positions of leadership and women put into position of positions of leadership and teaching who were not spiritually qualified. We're given the qualifications in Titus Timothy and Titus for what a leader in the church is supposed to be. I would challenge you to show me anywhere in the Bible where the church, first of all, is to be run by a church board. Now, I don't have a problem with that if that church board is functioning in such a way to bring edification and growth to the church. But the clear teaching of the Scriptures is that the church is to be led and run by elders who meet the qualifications of Timothy and Titus. Nehemiah knew that for them to move forward, there had to be good, qualified leaders that would be lifted up and encouraged to lead. But secondly, notice also, verse 4, the city was wide and large, but the people within it were few, and no houses had been rebuilt. That is a statement to me that says he was aware, he had done a realistic appraisal. He knew what was going on around. I understand that the majority of the second generation, the majority of your kids have not stayed in the Brook area. Most of them don't stay in rural areas. They get their education and a lot of times a high percentage of them find jobs where they went to get their education in that area. But I also understand 
as Jesse and I have walked, and we've walked sometimes out this way and all the way out into the country beyond, beyond Tom Crawford's place. And at times we've walked down and back in and through the community center and around before we've come back to the house. I also know that there are a lot of people in Brook who are unchurched. Who do not have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Who are not worshiping the Lord on a regular basis. The city is big, wide, large. Not in terms of <laughs> some other cities like Chicago or Indianapolis. But it's big enough that we have a task that we could be doing. And you know what? Mark and I have talked about this not not too long ago. And we're in the process of trying to do something. But not only that, but you know, country people drive, don't they? If you want a, some groceries, you got to drive how far? 15 miles? 20 miles? If you want to get to some bigger stores, you got to drive 45 miles? Country people drive. How many of you drive more than 30 miles one way to work on a given day? I know some do. Country people will also drive to go to church if they know that the church is a church that has people in it who love and who care and who are concerned about one another's welfare and if they are preaching the Word of God. Statistics are showing it. There are rural churches around the nation that are in fact growing. Nehemiah was aware and he did a realistic appraisal. But then lastly, and this is so important, look at verse 5. Then my God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles and the officials. If we are not open to God's leadership, nothing good will be done here out of this congregation. Nehemiah made himself open. He knew God put it in his heart that he needed to do something. And what that something was is he needed to he needed to how can I say it? As a part of his continuing task he needed to remind the people of who they were. That's what these verses are about. I didn't want to read them because it would get pretty tedious reading verses 6 to the close of the chapter. Because basically, it's just a genealogy. Names and numbers of families. But you know what it also was? Nehemiah was once again reminding them of exactly what Ezra had written in Ezra chapter 2. He says, hey folks, you saw this, you heard this back when we were doing building the temple. Let me repeat it now that we have built the wall. Here's who we are. And he repeats almost verbatim, almost word for word, Ezra chapter 2, as he reminds them of who they were. But he says something else. That verse I just read, that appraisal, that's a reminder of our task. 
Our task is to make disciples. You will find nobody. You will hear people who teach it in a different way. But I don't think you'll find anybody that believes any more strongly than I do about the importance of baptism. It's a part of our bearing the old self and rising to walk in newness of life. But you know what? That's not the command of the Great Commission. Jesus' final commission in Matthew chapter 28 says, All authority and power has given, been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. Make disciples. How do we do that? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded. That's how we do it. But the mission is to make disciples. What's a disciple? A disciple is a follower who looks just like the teacher. There was no greater honor that I had when I was teaching elementary school than to walk into the classroom and see one of the students pretending to be me, the teacher, and teaching the students just like I would do. Disciples. People who understand that Jesus Christ is our Lord. He's the King. The King of the Kingdom. It's not just about getting saved. Being saved is very important. But you know what? I've baptized people who went into the baptistry pool, dry sinners, and came out wet sinners. Because their heart wasn't there in terms of repenting of their past, making a change. They weren't there ready to make an open public confession that Jesus was going to be the Lord of their life 24-7, 365. Now that water doesn't save you. But baptism is a part of a process that does save you. Getting rid of the old self and becoming allegiant to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, our King. And that is our mission. That's where we need to go in terms of our continuing task. Let's pray.